conference weekend. I hope that your hearts have been encouraged as you had the opportunity uh, to, to be a part of things this weekend. Appreciate uh, Bill Smith and his ministry to us and uh, the ministry of Kent and Blake this weekend as well, teaching and all of those who uh, volunteered to help everything come together so well. My heart was certainly encouraged. Uh, Whitney was uh, very encouraged by the teaching this weekend and the fellowship, and I hope that you were as well. A couple of other things that are coming up in the, in the life of the, the church as we think about uh, things that are, that are happening. Uh, we're going to be celebrating Easter on April the, I think it's April the 12th of this year, and so we encourage you to be thinking about that. Uh, Bethany Baptist Church, our, our sister church in Peoria, is going to be having several things for Easter preparation. There's something they're doing on March 21st, a Saturday evening called Christ and the Passover. Kind of showing the link between the Feast of Passover and uh, the, the, the Exodus and the, the, the ministry of Jesus. And so we're going to walk through a Jewish Passover. They're going to have a speaker there, March 21st. And then they're going to have a Good Friday service. And so if you want to participate in a Good Friday service uh, this year, we're going to be at a Bethany Baptist Church participating in their Good Friday service. And then, Lord willing, next year as we're in the building, if, if the Lord allows, uh, we'll be having our, our own uh, Good Friday service and look forward to that. Well, Jeremiah 31, uh, I'm just going to read a few verses from the beginning of Jeremiah 31. And so if you're able to, if you'd stand with me in honor of God, as we read his word together, I'm going to begin in verse one. And, and here's what we read. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. From there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. You may be seated. And Heavenly Father, again, we would ask your blessing on our, our time. We thank you for how you have brought us, your people, together this morning to worship your name. We, we thank you again for the, the conference as we've been called to love one another. We pray that you'd help us to be faithful in that task this morning. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I want to begin this morning uh, by, by talking about three different relationships that, that I'm in. Uh, the first is a personal relationship. Uh, it's a relationship with my wife, with Whitney. And uh, how do I know in my relationship with Whitney that Whitney loves me? Uh, part of the answer is, is her devotion. That word devotion. Whitney and I began dating in high school. And it was often, as, as a young high school uh, young man, it was often very stressful for me. I didn't know whether this, this amazing young woman really, really liked me, if she, she really was, uh, was 
enamored with me or if this was if, if she was just kind of uh, tolerating me and so so there was a lot of lot of stress there as a as a young man uh, even when we got married even after we got married the first couple of years of marriage i don't know if, if those of you who are married at all have also experienced this but there were there were times where i was i was very concerned about you know how does she feel about me there'd be some sort of a friction in our relationship and I, I knew that we were committed to one another and yet at the same time i wondered how does she feel about that commitment i mean are there some regrets right now that she's feeling how, how does she how, do, how does she feel about me you know it, how, how do i know that she loves me well now we're over 20 years into our marriage relationship and even longer if you include our, our dating relationship and there, there's a sense of, of security that i have in my relationship with her right in fact, there's no one in the world that I, I feel more confident in their, their love for me than Whitney. And why is that? It's, it's, it's years of, of devotion of her proving herself and, and, our, and, and her commitment to, the, to me and to our relationship. There's, there's devotion. Now, the second relationship I want you to think about with me this morning is my relationship with God. How do I know that, that God loves me? Well, part of the answer to that is also devotion. God is, is devoted to me. He doesn't just have warm feelings toward me. He is, he's devoted to our relationship. He's committed himself to our relationship. And we'll be talking more about that as we go through Jeremiah 31, verse 3 this morning. And the third relationship is my relationship with, with my church, with, with you. H how do I know that you love me? And vice versa, how do you know that I love you? Part of the answer is, is devotion, a commitment, steadfast love that we have for another. Paul in Romans 12.10 says, he says, love one another with brotherly affection. He says in the NSB, it's translated, be devoted to one another in love. Devotion is, is what God calls us to in our relationships with one another. As, as we think about the relationships that exist between us who are part of Bethany Community Church, who are part of the body of Christ, it's not just the commitment and devotion we would show to, to co-workers. It's not just the type of devotion we might show to a, a teammate on our basketball team or our baseball team. There's, there's a deeper level of devotion that we're, to call, that we're called to have toward one another. We're, we're part of the same body. My, my hand is devoted to my body in a unique way. The, the past couple weeks, uh, some of you have, have noticed that I was, I was limping a little bit in the last couple weeks and, and asked me about it. I've been, I injured myself running, which many of you have had fun with, talking about how healthy running is. Um, you know, and uh, when, when, many of you have, have struggled with this. When, when, you're, when your back hurts... There, there's no part of your body, it feels, that, that isn't also affected by that, right? My, my hand can't just say to my back, hey, sorry you're not feeling well, buddy. I'm going to go for on this run without you. It's, it's devoted to, to, to my back, whether it likes it or not. You and I are, are part of a body. There's, there's devotion. How, how do we know that we love one another? Part of the answer to that is, is devotion. In fact, here, here's the main idea that I want us to, to think about together as we look at this verse. God has chosen to connect his glory to his commitment to love you for eternity. 
God has chosen to connect his glory, the exaltation of his name, he's chosen to connect that to his commitment to love you for eternity. To put it another way, loving you makes God look good. And if he were to, to stop loving you, I want to be careful how I say this, if God were to stop loving you, he would be less than God. If God were to, to stop loving you, it would affect the, the glory of his name because God has promised to continue to love you for eternity. And so if God stopped loving you, that would affect his glory and he would, he would be less than God if he stopped loving you. It's a strong thing to say as we walk through Jeremiah 31.3 and, and various other passages this morning. I, I hope you'll see what I'm saying here. God has chosen to connect his glory to his commitment to love you for eternity. In other words, my confidence in God's love for me is not just that he has some nice feelings about me. It's not just that he has warm affection for me. My, my confidence in God's love is that he has chosen to connect his glory to his commitment to love me forever. That gives me confidence that God truly loves me and will continue to truly love me. And as I understand that aspect of God's love for me, what does it do? It affects my understanding of what I'm called to do in relationship to you. So we're going to do two things as we look at Jeremiah 31.3. We're going to talk about grasping God's steadfast love for us. And then we're going to talk about practicing steadfast love for one another. Okay? So let's... let's Let's first of all do this. Let's first of all talk about grasping God's steadfast love for us. And, and look at verse 3 in particular here as, as we talk about grasping God's steadfast love for us. And as, as we do that, there's two things. As we talk about God's steadfast love for us, there's two things about God's steadfast love for us that I want us to think about here in verse 3, the first part of verse 3. The first thing is I want us to see God's eternal affection for us. So here's what... The verse, in fact, I'm going to go a little bit earlier. The, the chapter begins with God talking about his, his call for his people. So his people have been disobedient to him, as Jeremiah 31 begins. And, and God has told them elsewhere in Jeremiah, look, this is, this is what's going to happen to you. This is what's already happened to the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, the, the curses that we talked about when we were going through the Pentateuch, when we talked about Deuteronomy 28, for example, those, those curses, the exile, the scattering, that's happened. As a result of their sin, God has scattered his people, but that's not the end of the story. He says in verse 3, the Lord appeared to him, to Israel, from far away. So while Israel was in exile, God, what God said would happen, happened, but God didn't leave them there in exile, didn't leave Israel there in exile. And, and then God says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. There's a verb and a noun there of love. There's the verb love, I've, I've loved you. And that word means to have, have warm affection for, to, to have uh, a care for. To, it's very similar to the way we would use the word love when we're using it rightly. I, I've loved you. I've, I have these warm feelings for you. I have this regard and affection for you. And God says, I've, I, I have that, and I, I've loved you with an everlasting love. 
that's, that's again, that, that's, it comes from the same Hebrew root word there. And he says, I've, I've loved you this everlasting love. How long is the love? It's, it's everlasting. It doesn't end. Now, this isn't the main thing I want us to talk about this morning, but I, I don't want to leave this part of the verse too quickly. As you think about God's demeanor toward you, as you conceptualize God's demeanor toward you, how do you think about how God's thinking about you or his attitude toward you? I think sometimes, some people, maybe those who don't have a real grasp of sin, sometimes when they think about God, they just have this assumption, oh, God likes me, I'm a likable person, I'm not unlikable like that guy over there, I'm kind of a likable person, so of course God looks at me and and smiles. But some of us, I think, who have really grappled with who we are and who God is and, and are in churches where we talk about the reality of sin and God's hatred towards sin, I think sometimes those of us who, who think about our own sinfulness can have a hard time thinking about God having warm feelings toward them, affection for them. There's kind of this understanding, well, I, I guess God loves me, but maybe it's the love like of a person who's trapped in a relationship, you know? God, God, uh, I got God trapped into this relationship because I prayed this prayer one time and now God's stuck with me and, and he has to save me and he sent his son Jesus and so he, he made a promise and so he has to love me, but he's not too happy about it. He, he's stuck in this relationship. That's not what God says here in Jeremiah 31, verse 3. When I was, uh, when I was 10 or 11 years old, I went to go stay with my, my grandma and grandpa for a week in Arkansas. And it was the, the first time I had stayed uh, at some place away from my parents and all my siblings. Usually I had to share a room with my brother or brothers. And, and uh, so now I had this, this room at my grandparents all to myself. And, and uh, very honestly, right, very little adult supervision for a week. And so every night we'd go to the lake and, and swim in the lake and come home and I would take off my lake clothes and just throw them on the floor. Uh, there, was, there was baked goods all over the place and, and pop and, uh, you know, just all sorts of sugar. And so I was just eating things all the time. I'd take food into the room and just leave it out, leave milk out or whatever I want to do. And, and it was just this, this amazing and, and glorious week, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, and then... One evening, the evening before we were getting ready to leave, uh, Grandma walks into the room, and she took a step in the room, and, the, and then there's just this, this gasp, you know, what in the world has happened in this place? And as I saw her look at the room, I saw a look of disgust, really, as she just kind of looked around, right? And my little 11-year-old heart was just, oh, I've disappointed Grandma. I, I was kind of one of the... I was kind of one of her favorite grandkids, and and, and I, I thought, I've lost it. You know, I've, I've lost a favored grandson status. And we had to clean up the room real quickly and left early the next morning or whatever, and then months go by. And, and what am I thinking? Oh, I remember when Grandma used to love me. Then I see her, we're planning to see her in Dallas, and so I'm kind of dreading it because I'm just dreading the look on her face when she sees this grandson that she used to love. And then, and then we, 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 I walk into the, I just remember, I walk into the kitchen, grandma walks in the kitchen, and it's just pure love, right? 
No, no sign, no trace that I'd ever disappointed her in any way whatsoever. It was shocking to me. Now, who, who loves us more? Grandma or Jesus, right? As I tell that story, it's, it's not shocking to you that, that Grandma would continue to love me and have warm regard and affection for me. Yeah, not too happy about the messy room. But, but loves me, has, has warm feelings for me. You think about it as, as a parent, whenever a child is, is sinning or struggling, there's, there's, there's warm regard, affection. You still desire that relationship. God's demeanor toward us is not, I got stuck in this contract. They tricked me. They placed their faith in Jesus, and now I have to save them. He says, I've, I've loved you. And that word love, affection, d- d- devotion, uh, a, a care for, he, he loves you, us with an everlasting love. Let's not miss that. But let's also talk about the rest of the verse. And here's what I want you to see even more. Let's now talk about God's eternal, steadfast love toward us. See, the verse goes on. And it says, he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've continued my faithfulness to you. Now, there's, there's several different ways that we can, can translate that. But, but essentially, what, what I want you to do is I want you to think about that word faithfulness. God's love is not just sentimental. It's not just, just affection. There's a covenant commitment that's attached with God's love. My confidence, our confidence in God's love is not just the fact that he has affection for us. It's also found in the truth that God's love is a, is a covenantal love. It's a devoted love. And this word that's translated faithfulness here is a word that's very, very hard for us to, to translate accurately. It's, it's this beautiful word. Here, let me, let me show you the word in Hebrew. And I don't often do this, you know, but this is such an important word for us to understand. This is the word uh, hesed or chesed, if you if you want to sound uh, a little snotty as you talk to people. Uh, if you're going to write it in English, you might write it H E S E D and H E S E D hesed. And again, it's, it's a word that occurs over and over again in the Old Testament. Some almost 250 times it appears in the Old Testament, and it's a very hard word to translate. And that's that's why I'm talking about it with you a little bit this morning. We talked about it before a little more detail when we went through the book of Ruth. But but here's some words that sometimes are used to to translate this word. And I don't think any of English word fully captures the meaning of it. But words like loyalty obligation, faithfulness, goodness, graciousness, kindness, love, mercy. And, and you can really add the word everlasting in front of those words to convey even more of the meaning. Everlasting loyalty, everlasting obligation, everlasting faithfulness, everlasting goodness, everlasting graciousness, everlasting kindness, everlasting love, everlasting mercy, everlasting favor. As one writer puts it, it's this, this hesed is the devoted love promised within a covenant. Hesed is, is not merely love, but loyal love, not merely kindness, but dependable kindness, not merely affection, but affection that has committed itself. Hesed is the d- devoted love promised within a covenant. Hesed is love that is willing to commit itself to another by making its promise a matter of solemn record. As another commentator says, it's it's it combines the warmth, Hesed combines the warmth of God's fellowship 
with the security of God's faithfulness. Now, here in, in verse 3, he says, I've, I've continued my, my faithfulness to you. And, and literally that word continue means to, 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 to drag, to, to, to draw. And so what God is saying here, I think, is I've, I've continued to draw you to myself by my steadfast, loyal, de- devoted, merciful covenant devotion, a devote, a covenant love toward you. I've, I've continued to draw you. Because my glory is on the line, and I love you with an everlasting love, I'm going to be faithful to my covenant promises to you. Let me walk through six thoughts about God's hesed love here. And, and I'm going to use the word hesed because I, I think it's, it's helpful as we understand what Scripture is saying here. I don't normally, again, I don't normally do Hebrew or Greek word studies, but... but uh, or at least use the Hebrew Greek words because normally we don't need to. But but I think it's going to be helpful here. And I, I spent I spent hours uh, this this past week thinking about this word, and I've kind of boiled it. There's so much more I could say, and I'm probably even going to cut some things even as I talk here. And I'm going to maybe varying speeds uh, go through these six thoughts. So stop talking about it, Daniel. Just do it. If you're so short on time. Number one, God's hesed, a couple thoughts here. Number one, God's hesed, not your goodness, is why he chose to save you. God's, God's hesed, his, his covenant love, his steadfast love, his mercy, his guys, not your goodness, is why he chose to save you. So, for example, in Deuteronomy 7, we, we see this, we see God's, uh, God's love and his hesed kind of combining here. In other words, you and I aren't saved because uh, you, you've got God stuck into some sort of contract because he, he had to, this is his, an aspect of his character. It's why he chose to save you. Deuteronomy 7, it's kind of interesting how these words kind of tie together. So, for example, Deuteronomy 7, uh, he's talking about why God chose the Israelites versus other people. And he says it wasn't because of something good in and of you. He says in Deuteronomy 7, it wasn't because you were no, uh, more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you. You're the fewest of all peoples, but it's because the Lord loves you. And that's not the word hesed there. It's, the word love is, is this, this uh, same word that we see in Jeremiah 31, 3, the beginning of the verse. It says it's because he loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. Verse 9, know therefore that the Lord your God is the God the, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. That's the word hesed there. With those who love, that's the other word for love, him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Verse 12, because you listen to these rules and keep them and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love. That's hesed there. He will keep with you the, the hesed, the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love, that's that other word for love. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. God's Hesed, his, his steadfast love from eternity past is why he chose to, to save you. It's not your own goodness. In other words, if we're really going to understand election, if we're going to understand this, this drawing language that Jeremiah uses, we have to, to think about God's hesed, his, his steadfast love, his devoted love. You can't really, if you're going to be biblical, you can't be a person who believes in God's election and 
and, and not believe in his hesed. And you can't believe, I think, I believe, you can't believe in his, his hesed, his steadfast love, without also believing in his election. Because this is all about God and, and an attribute of his character, not about you and me. Bill, on Saturday, mentioned Jacob. And, 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 and he talked about how God was incredibly patient with Jacob. And what did he say? He was talking about Jacob. Because God was patient with Jacob. And it wasn't, and God was continuing to, to sanctify and to, to change Jacob. And in the story of Jacob, Jacob will often talk to God, and he'll, uh, or there's several times, uh, at least two times, where he, he talks to God about God's, God's hesed toward him, his faithful, steadfast love, not on who Jacob is, but upon who God is. A uh, second thought here, God's hesed is why he forgives you. God doesn't forgive you because you show a certain amount of penance. He doesn't say, okay, you've, you've groveled enough, you've uh, come to me and you have uh, you know, said these exact three things that I wanted you to say and you've given this amount of money to this person that you wronged, now I will forgive you. No, no, the, the basis of your forgiveness is not grounded in your contrition, it's not grounded in who you are at all. God's hesed, his steadfast love is why he forgives you and me. In Numbers chapter 14, remember what happens there? The people have believed the report of the, of the ten spies instead of the good report of, of Joshua and Caleb. And God tells Moses, you know, get out of the way. I'm going to deal with the people of Israel. And, and Moses intercedes for the people of Israel. And, and what does he base his, his plea to God on? It's not, hey, God, I think you're just misunderstanding. These guys, once you get to know them, they're fantastic. No, that's not what Moses bases his plea to God on. He bases it upon the character of God. Listen to what he says in Numbers 14. He says, if you kill this people, then the nations who've heard of your fame will say, it's because the Lord wasn't able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give them, that he's killed them in the wilderness. And now, verse 17, please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying, verse 18, Moses says, God, this is what you've said about yourself. The Lord, Yahweh, is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, in hesed, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty. Verse uh, verse 19, please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Psalm 51, verse 1, have mercy on me, the psalmist says, have mercy on me, O God, according to the greatness of your steadfast love, the greatness of your hesed. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Moses says, look, God, your name is on this people. You've chosen by your incredible mercy and grace, you have chosen to connect your glory to the well-being of your people. God, in your grace, you've put your name upon us, and now, because of that, because of your steadfast love, continue to forgive us. The psalmist, God, because you've made this covenant with me, I, I'm, I'm pleading with you for your forgiveness. According to you, not according to me, according to you, according to your steadfast love, blot out my iniquity. God's name is upon us. His glory is on the line. Uh, this, this past week, it's kind of cool to see the, the different uh, 
groups that are coming to work on the new church building, the new addition. And uh, this this past week, uh, Catalyst put a, a, a big banner on, on part of the church building, uh, which I took as a good sign, right? <laughs> you know, we're, we're attaching our name to this, you know. Our, our, our glory is on the line here. We're, 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 we want our name to be associated with, with this work. God's put his name on us. This, this work is associated with my name. I'm, I'm taking this, this person, this individual, and I'm, I'm forgiving them, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm bringing them to completion, and my glory is on the line in this process. I've, I've sealed my name on them. Another thought here about God's Hesed. God's Hesed is, is limitless, both in time and scope. I'm going to go through some of these a little more quickly. Psalm 103, verse 11. Listen to the scope here. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love, his Hesed, towards those who fear him. Psalm 33, verse 5. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the, the Hesed of the Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord. So it's, it's limitless in scope. It's also limitless in terms of time. Psalm 103, verse 17. But the steadfast love love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Psalm 138 verse 8, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Eternity past, God determines his plan for the universe and for you and for me, and God will continue to accomplish his purpose on into eternity. Number four, a fourth thought here. God's hesed provides the context that helps us understand his discipline of us. God's, God's hesed, is his steadfast love, his favor, his kindness, his mercy, his covenant love, helps us understand the context of, of discipline. Isaiah 54, Isaiah says, In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you. So God is saying to his people through Isaiah, look, I, I hid my face for you, from my anger, I hid my face from you, but, but it's with everlasting love. Hesed, I will have compassion on you. He talks about how, uh, my st- verse 10 of Isaiah 54, my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. So as I understand God's hesed, I say, okay, right now there's a time of discipline, but I haven't been removed from relationship with him. It gives me confidence in the times of discipline. Fifth, I wish I had more time to kind of unpack this, but this is an amazing truth that we, we see in the Old Testament. God's hesed is why Christ came. There are several passages in the Old Testament that connect the, the coming with the Messiah with, with God's hesed, with his steadfast love. Psalm 18 verse 50, for example, great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love, hesed to his anointed. Isaiah 16, 5, a throne will be established in steadfast love, hesed, and on it will sit the faithfulness in the tent of David, one who, one will sit in it, too many it's and ends there, on it, on that throne will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. That's the Messiah. Last thing here about God's hesed. God's hesed demands we worship and trust in him. And boy, there are so many passages that we can turn to here. I mentioned that this word occurs uh, 245 times, almost 250 times in the Old Testament. Half of them, over half, are in, in the book of Psalms. 
the only right response to God as we meditate on this aspect of his character, of his hesed, of his steadfast love, his mercy, his favor, his grace, his kindness, the only appropriate response is, is one of worship. We meditate on it. Psalm 48.9, we have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. Over and over again, we're called to trust in this aspect of God's character. When I, what does it mean to, to have faith in God, to trust in God? When I, when I place my faith in Christ, when I'm trusting in God, one of the things I'm trusting in is in, in the steadfast love. Psalm 13, verse 5, I have trusted in your hesed, your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 52, 8, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. Psalm 5, verse 7, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Psalm 90, verse 14, satisfy in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad in all our days. I'm skipping verse after verse here. Um, Psalm 136, uh, psalm 136 you read through that psalm and every verse ends with with the the steadfast love of the lord it's calling it's calling people to to um uh, to remember that the steadfast love of the lord endures forever we have to grasp god's steadfast love for us now what are the what are the applications here one um Considering and grasping God's hesed shapes and compels our worship. In other words, the, the songs that we sing about God shouldn't be songs that make God sound like some sort of lovesick teeny bopper, right? God's affection for us isn't just some, like some high school crush. This is an awesome God who pours out his righteous wrath on sin, and yet because of his love, he has tied his glory to his commitment to saving you and preserving you. He will save you. That's what God's love is about. And, and so as I think about that aspect of God's love, God isn't just warmly affectionate toward me, although, although Psalm uh, Jeremiah 31.3 assures me that there is a warm regard for me, that this is a, a warm relationship, and so I need to take delight in that. But I also need to just contemplate the greatness and holiness of God, a God who pours out his righteous wrath on sin, and yet has tied his glory to continuing to show steadfast love and devotion to me. That affects what I what I sing, right? That that affects what we what we say and, and what we what we proclaim to one another as we come together and, and worship on a Sunday morning. It also provides security for me. If if it was just God's sentiment toward me, it, it would feel very shaky, right? But my security is based in the, the character of God, so it compels my worship, and I also take security. I have no doubt that God's glory that existed from eternity past will continue to exist in, into eternity future. And the idea that he has staked his glory by choice on a relationship with me and continuing his covenant faithfulness to me, that gives me some pretty good security. And then finally, it creates a model for me. Thinking about God's hesed, his steadfast love, gives a model for me as I think about my regard and care and love and grace and favor and kindness that I show toward you and that you show toward me and that we show toward one another. And let's talk about that now. Let's talk about practicing steadfast love. 
to others. Practicing steadfast love to, to others. Number one, four thoughts here. Four thoughts. Number one, God's hesed is a model for my steadfast love to others. Hosea 6.6, God tells us, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. And then God over and over again uses that that model of of hesed to talk about how we're to to be in relationship with one another. And and he he uses our relationships to, to point back back to him, so there's, there's this reciprocal thing. The, the marriage relationship, for example, is a, a picture of, of God's love for his people and then also a picture of God's love that his people are to show one another. So, for example, Hosea 2.19, I will betroth you to me forever, and I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in, in hesed, in steadfast love, and in mercy. And now God wants us to show that to one another. Hosea 4.1, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There's no faithfulness. There's no steadfast love. Micah 6.8, he's told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, hesed, and to walk humbly with your God. Zechariah 7.9, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. A second thought of application here. Steadfast love means I'm committed to our relationship. If, if I'm going to practice the same type of love that God has shown me, it means that I'm going to be committed to our relationship. I'm going to value Hesed. I'm going to value covenant faithfulness to you. Proverbs 3, 3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Proverbs 19, 22. Proverbs 19, 22, what is desired in a man is steadfast love. What do you want in a relationship with other people? You want a relationship with other people in which they're committed to you and, and you're committed to them. There's, there's confidence in their commitment. And, and, and by the way, my commitment to you my hesed, my steadfast love to you is not based upon your current or prior or anticipated future treatment of me, is it? Just as God doesn't say, well, you know what? My steadfast love was going to be forever, but boy, did you honk me off. No. God says, no, my, my steadfast love means I acknowledge your sin I recognize your sin, and now I recognize how I need to continue in, in, my, in my steadfast love to help you grow from where you are to where you need to be because I love you, because I've connected my, my, myself relationally to you. And so similarly with you and me, you don't say, you know what, Daniel, you've disappointed me for the last time. I'm now no longer obligated to, to love you. No, you say, you know what, Daniel, you've disappointed me yet again. Let's keep going. Because I love you and I desire you to become the person that, that God desires you to be in Christ as well. Now, of course, my specific actions are going to change. They're going to be affected by what you do. Hesed includes rebuke. Psalm 141.5, let a righteous man strike me. It's, it's kindness. It's hesed. Not, not literally, okay? Let's not strike each other literally. But a righteous person who has hesed, who has, is committed to me, is going to rebuke me. It's oil for my head. But my overarching relationship to you is going to be marked by my commitment to care for you. Again, the word devotion comes to mind. 
I was talking with a, a pastor friend on, on Friday. He was talking about the, the hard struggles of, of the people who've left his church, and, and he you know, loved them, and he was very sad whenever they left. And as he talked, I said, you know, um, and he talked about some of the difficulties that are going on in the church. I said, you know what, I, I think there's something that's equally hard for you right now. What, what's equally hard for you is not just the people who've left your church, but the people who are remaining in your church who have no commitment, no devotion, no hesed to the Lord and to each other. That, that's, a, almost, that's harder than the people leaving is the people who have stayed and yet are not committed to relationship with one another. And, and by God's grace, you know, it was a very strange week for me this, this past week. I don't know if, if some of you just talked together and said, you know what, Daniel looks a little down or something, but, but it was just amazing. Last Sunday, two or three of you over the week, several people just came up to me and, and just said, hey, I just want you to know that I love you and, and, or that I appreciate your ministry or, or I, I don't know what. I, I, got a, I got a text that scared me from one of our, our supported missionaries. They, they said, hey, Daniel, the Lord has is, is woken me up over the, the past few days and has uh, just really, I've been, been praying for you, woke up praying for you, which scared me. I'm like, okay. What? I asked Whitney, hey, is anything going wrong that I, I forgot about? Am, 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 you know, I check my pulse. You know, what, am I okay? I think it's just the kindness of the Lord. Now, um, that needs to be true of all of us, because I've also heard stories in the past week of, of people being very lonely, of people not fear, feeling the, the, the commitment of, of the body to them, and that's sad, right? This commitment means I'm going to be, initiate love, I'm going to have a forgiving love, I'm going to humble myself with my love, I'm going to, to care for you. Number three, steadfast love means I practice kindness toward you. I practice kindness to, toward you. You can just write down 1 Samuel 20. And look at the story of, of David and Jonathan's relationship, and, and you see steadfast love mentioned over and over again, a commitment to practice kindness. And number four, steadfast love means I'm willing to bear the costs of our relationship. Just as God bears the cost of his steadfast love toward us, I'm willing to bear the cost of our relationship as, as there is debt to be paid, as there are hurts to be worked through as there are our costs incorporated with you loving me and me loving you, I'm willing to bear it. Steadfast love means I'm, I'm willing to bear those costs. We're coming off this, this conference talking about love, and, and I want to ask this question as we conclude this morning. Uh, can you and I commit together this morning to love each other? Can you say, okay, I, I see God's love for me, not just this warm affection. I, I'm not just committing to have warm affection toward my brothers and sisters in the body with me this morning. I, I'm committed to hesed. I'm committed to, to steadfast covenant love. As long as God calls us to worship together as a, as a church, as long as I have the ability to do so by God's grace, I, I recognize that God, again, the main idea, God has chosen to connect his glory to his commitment to, to love me for eternity. And I'm now going to, in my, my confidence in God's love, I'm going to practice that type of love toward others can we commit by god's grace to practicing that type of hesed that type of steadfast love loyalty devotion kindness toward one another or at least by god's grace working toward that jeremiah 31 doesn't end in verse 3 obviously jeremiah 31 is is most known for the the new covenant that occurs later kind of beginning in verse 30 of Jeremiah 31. And as God lays out the new covenant, we see that you and I enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 
the writer of Hebrews quotes Jeremiah 31. He talks about this new covenant. He says, this, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. By God's grace, you and I, who have experienced the steadfast love of the Lord, have entered into relationship with God through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper together this morning, we are committing ourselves afresh to that covenant relationship with God and with one another. And so I would ask you as you prepare your hearts that if, that if there is relational distance between you and other believers, maybe it's, it's, it's a stated difference like you know it and the other person knows it and uh, quite frankly, so do several other people know about this distance in relationship with other believers. You, you say before you take the Lord's Supper, Father, I, I need your forgiveness for this and I'm, I'm committing by your grace to pursuing Hesed here, to steadfast love, covenant love. And if you're... Uh, a person, maybe you just have some resentments towards another believer that you would, by God's grace, commit this morning and say, Father, help me to work through those things and to, and to practice this type of st- steadfast love to others. Whatever the case, ask that God would show you how you can continue to fulfill God's call to practice this type of love toward, toward one another. Father, we thank you for the new covenant, the new covenant inaugurated by the blood of your son Jesus that you willingly sacrificed for us not because of who we are, but because of who you are. You've loved us, you've had affection for us, and you've done all that was required to bring us into relationship with you and to sustain us in that relationship. Father, how can we not love one another? Because of your grace, we pray this in your son's name. Amen.